On the Riabu podcast today, we're going to tackle the issue of bankruptcies with statistics from Dun and Bradstreet showing that first quarter bankruptcies in Singapore were 70% higher than at the same time last year. The first quarter, of course, were was the time before the COVID-19 uh, decimation of the economy actually really kicked into gear. So given the fact that the first quarter was already significantly worse than the previous, uh, the same quarter the previous year, presumably the second quarter will be even worse again. Simon Littlewood, um, you know, at Riabu, of course, we care about people's cash flow and that, that your cash flow improves before you take the step into bankruptcy. What's your initial reaction to this? Well, it's not completely surprising. Um, we saw deteriorating figures last year. Most year-on-year figures for the last year have shown a deteriorating trend. Um, I think, you know, the real concern is that since, as you say, the real impact of COVID drop in activity had not kicked in, one has to wonder what the data are actually like today. You know, so as we come out of the protective measures in Singapore, which we all do on Friday of this week, um, what's going to happen? Are we going to see a significant increase in the level of bankruptcies or RSMEs in particular, somehow going to be able to weather the storm? Well, uh, let's take a look at what happens in a bankruptcy specifically, because usually, uh, you know, if a business is in trouble, it doesn't go from, you know, oh, we don't have any customers this month to bankruptcy straight away. I mean, most business owners, because they've invested so much in building their businesses, would resist going into bankruptcy, presumably as long and as fast as they can. So when we see a 70% increase in bankruptcies, what that suggests is that there is a whole another body of, of companies, a much bigger one, where the business owners are fighting against sinking into bankruptcies. What is it that you can say to those companies that are on their way but not quite yet at bankruptcy as to what to do in the current time? Well, it all depends on on how bad the current situation is. Remember, there's a chunk of businesses for whom all revenue basically ceased. I mean, the, the hospitality business, particularly restaurants and bars, would be a very good example of that, where apart from a tiny takeaway business, basically all their revenue went away. Now, I actually had uh, some restaurateurs, for example, contacting me and asking for advice on what they should do as we got towards the end of the first quarter. Because if you're looking at zero revenue going forward and you've got huge liabilities for, for, for premises rental, for example, and staff costs going through the first quarter with zero revenue to offset it against, sometimes companies elect to go bankrupt rather than to continue to accumulate liabilities. So it's possible we're, we're seeing a bit of that in those March figures. Um, but to your point, um, where companies see a future, as distinct from companies that see no future, then um, there are a number of things that those companies should be doing. I mean, the first thing is that the government measures which kicked in in March and continued till now provide things like a reduction in the pressure to pay mortgages, a delay in the obligations to pay commercial rents for up to three months, uh, some government subsidies based on staff costs and so on and so forth, designed to provide businesses with a bridge through the COVID crisis. But the trouble is that in no case do the liabilities disappear. What happens is they essentially are frozen and they accumulate. And then at the end of the uh, transition period, all of a sudden you've got all those liabilities back, back again, including rent arrears, for example, and mortgage arrears and all of those other things. So 
that's the real issue that concerns me because in the fourth quarter of this year, if government measures are withdrawn, we're looking at a significant chunk of businesses facing a very large accumulated liability across a number of areas. How can they meet it? You've raised an interesting point about electing to go into bankruptcy. Um, given the stigma that's attached to this in Asia in, in particular, and the prospect that when you're then ready to restart your business, you might have people who will avoid uh, getting, uh, you know, getting into bed with you again in some capacity. Presumably, this is also a decision that's not taken lightly, right? It's, it must be the lesser of uh, several evils. Well, we must differentiate between personal and, and business bankruptcy. So you can become insolvent as a, as a company, but not become personally bankrupt. And that's, what, that's what's happening in most cases, is that you protect yourself by going professionally bankrupt. Now, of course, if you've got loans, and if they're secured on your property, and we know that something like 70% of bank lending in Singapore to SMEs is secured on um, is secured on property, um, that is an issue. But in many cases, it may provide a an option to get out. And to your point about you know the social stigma of bankruptcy, well, bankruptcies have in general risen so significantly over the last couple of years. You know, for, before we even had the trade dispute and the COVID crisis and all those kinds of things, we had a huge explosion in consumer credit in, in Southeast Asia in general and Singapore in particular, which was not particularly well coordinated. So lots of individuals took out multiple short-term high-interest loans via credit cards or directly from multiple financial institutions, and there was no limit on their ability to do that. So you, you saw unprecedented levels of both personal and professional bankruptcies. Um, what we're looking at now, I hope, is fewer personal bankruptcies but in some cases, companies electing to go bankrupt. For those that don't elect to go bankrupt, one assumes they see a way through this. And I think to focus this perhaps back to what they can do right now, the question becomes, what can I do to ensure that I make the best of the bad situation that I'm in? And I think a key question would be, how can I generate the maximum amount of cash from what business I'm left with? And of course, the next question must be, what is the answer to that finally yeah. asked, easily prompted rhetorical question, Simon? Well, it's, you know, you, you, the reality is that if you have customers, and it depends what kind of business you're in, but if you have customers who are solvent and are paying people, that is, they're not insolvent, then the question becomes, how do, how do I ensure that I'm one of these suppliers that get paid? And there are a set of things that will make it more likely that you get paid. And they are to do with the way that you manage that, that relationship overwhelmingly. They're not to do with borrowing more money and they're not to do with creating automation or all those kind of things. It's all about relationship. It's all about taking advantage of the fact that by behaving in a certain way, by taking away excuses for late payment, you can put yourself in an advantageous position with customers, remaining customers who are solvent. And that's the critical thing that companies should be focusing on right now. Yeah. So getting paid for the goods and services you've already delivered in the past. Is there a way that you can get customers to pay a deposit for goods and services that might be delivered in the future? Well, I mean, I think that if cash is more important than margin, and if you're in a, in a business where your gross margin is relatively high, there are a number of things you can do potentially to offset cash against margin, which is to say, I'll give you a slightly lower price if you if you pay me earlier, but you've got to be very careful with that because in my experience, um, people never refuse concessions on payment terms, but 
they never refuse concessions on price, you know. Um, so um, they might ex take the price reduction and still not pay you. So you have to know your customer very well. Um, you know, earlier invoicing is a good example of something you could do. Um, temporary changing in payment terms is something you could do. Um, the way that you behave with your suppliers, and I'm, I'm not talking about arbitrarily holding on to your money, but I'm talking about openly negotiating easier terms. There are opportunities to maybe aggregate some of your spend so that individual suppliers get more spend and on the back of that, ask for better terms. So there are, th there are things that you can do. If you have an active business, there are things that you can do to improve the cash flow balance. So less is going out and more is coming in. And the balance may be very fine over the next, over the last month and over the next couple of months. So that small adjustments in that balance may be just what you need to get through, given that you probably already cut staff costs, given that you have a level of government support coming in month by month, yeah? Yes, and I suppose um, one other difficulty that you might need to tackle is whether your customer actually wants to give you prepayments, even if you are offering discounts or, or, or whatever, whatever other temporary concessions that you suggested. Because after all, if the customer is going to, you know, write you a check uh, for goods and services not yet ordered, um, they might wonder whether they'll actually get the products or services, whether you'll still be in business to provide well, uh, the products and services. That that's you right. I mean, this, this comes down to customer intimacy and the knowledge that you should have of the financial situation um, uh, with customers. If you have big customers who are financially solid, perhaps they're part of a multinational corporation, and you know that they're going to be fine one way or another, you might be able to, to interest them in some kind of concession. At the other extreme, if you have um, relationships with companies that are teetering on the brink of insolvency, then you should be doing the opposite. You should be reducing your risk, which means you never do another transaction with a customer you think is struggling to pay unless and until the net balance owed to you is reduced. So there has to be a diminishing balance. What you don't do is allow the amount of money owed to you to grow where your risk assessment tells you that those customers or a certain customer has a risk of not being able to trade in future. Yeah. So, um, you know, those are, those are two different types of customer that you can do things with. And there are customers in the middle um, where you might be able to do a range of other things. But the key to this, as always, is early engagement and complete transparency. It's not treat people badly because you're on the back foot and you're prepared to do anything you can to survive. These things are better done in the open face to face because everybody knows there's a crisis. Everybody knows they need to be flexible if they want to have business in the future, yeah? Is your experience that companies, uh, when a supplier comes to them and says, hey, uh, we're having the obvious difficulty during COVID, uh, can we strike a deal? Do you find that companies are generally keen to help out in this way? Well, it clearly depends on how well you scrutinize those customers beforehand, because if they're really struggling, that's not something they're really going to want to hear. They're, they're going to say, well, you know, frankly, it's, it's difficult enough for us to meet our existing terms. You know, um, we, you can't get more cash out of us. So as I said, the secret is to understand that and to manage that downside risk. But you know, Pareto principle, you know, there'll be 80% of your sales will be 20% of your customers. Chances are they are substantial enterprises in most cases. Go to the substantial enterprises, talk about future relationships, talk about what you can do for them in the future, show them that you're invested in the relationship um, and um, see what you can produce in terms of change payment terms, early invoicing opportunities, part payment, 
and so on and so forth. You know, predicated on the assumption that, look, this is just a way for us to get through a very difficult situation together. A lot of companies don't bother with this. They wait for things to get worse and worse and worse and worse till it becomes a crisis. And then the conversation becomes ugly. Remember, one of the principles of receivables management is be honest, be upfront, interact early so that you can reach an agreement on any issue that you have so that it so that it gives both of you what you need. Um, so, so I think a key principle for where people are now is don't be frightened into just keeping quiet and kind of keeping your fingers crossed because that's that's not a strategy. A better strategy is to be open and honest, select how you deal with customers based on their financial strength and be open and honest about what you'd like them to do for you. And you'll be surprised how many of them will be cooperative. Yeah. Yes. And so far, our conversation has really taken the point of view of you as a supplier and how you interact with your customers. But obviously, as you know, anybody in business, you're also a customer to your suppliers. So let's flip the, the conversation uh, just briefly in the direction of your suppliers who would be looking to you for uh, upfront payment and, uh, you know, uh, payments of deposits and, and whatever else. Um, is there anything different that you should do than what you've already advised when you're in the supplier? Role? Well, we, we did talk about this a little bit earlier earlier in this discussion, but what I would say is this. The secret to getting better terms out of suppliers is always aggregation. That means giving them the, pot the potential for more business now or in the future. So if you have multiple suppliers, for example, that are supplying the same thing or something very similar, you have an option to pick one of the suppliers who perhaps has the deeper pockets and to go to them and say, look, there's an opportunity for us to do more business with you now and in the future, but you need to help us. So, so, so it's good to be able to provide a quid pro quo because if you just go to them and say, well, we're in trouble, we need you to let us pay you later. And no, that's not a very appealing idea for a supplier who may have difficulties of his own. So look at, it's all about intimacy. Remember 80-20 rule, 20% 20 of your suppliers provide you with 80% of what you buy. Look at them first. Which are the stronger ones? Where are their opportunities to maybe concentrate some of your spend. Now, this this goes against custom and practice in normal, healthy times where you are told you should spread your spend so that you can you can uh, leverage cost and price more effectively across the market. It's not about that now. It's about survival. Now, aggregation is perfectly legitimate. That is giving more spend to a smaller number of suppliers in order to delight them with the prospect of growth and get concessions from them in terms not so much of price if cash flow is the issue but of payment terms you know uh, if you do that effectively it can have a huge impact on your uh, cash flow yeah and speaking of customer intimacy um, it, it may not sound immediately appealing to get more intimate with simon and i but of course we always want to hear from you and your stories and perhaps you have some specific examples or even your own solutions that you've come across that have worked for you. Uh, drop us an email at service at riabu.com. And uh, who knows, perhaps we'll invite you on the podcast as well to share your story yourself. Uh, before we go bankrupt on this uh, podcast, Simon, any final words, any last things to add before I press the button and we end A lot it? of people are, I mean, all I would say is a lot of people are, are, are in a fairly reactive state of mind at the moment because it's one piece of bad news after another. There is a future. And try and make business decisions based on the fact that you're going to be in business next year and that you'll want good relationships to grow your business with and share that thinking with both your customers and your suppliers so that you focus your attention on people that you can build long-term relationships with and who are prepared to help you get through. 
On those profound words, thank you very much, Simon Littlewood.